right, go ahead and open up to the book of Ezra. That's where we're going to be for the next couple weeks. Book of Ezra. Let's see what it has for us. So Ezra is pretty much a continuation in the Old Testament of, uh, as we left, Second Chronicles. Um, matter of fact, uh, the ending verses of Second Chronicles and the beginning verses of Ezra pretty much match up as we see the decree put out by Cyrus. This is kind of another a second exodus uh, for the nation of Israel or Judah who will be going back to Jerusalem, but it won't be as grand as it was whenever God delivered them from Egypt. We'll, only, we'll see a remnant that will be uh, leaving from Babylon as Cyrus releases them. But that remnant and even those who may have stayed had a longing to go back to Jerusalem and back to Judah, uh, back to the promised land that God had promised Abraham so many years ago. And now we can read, I'm, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it. And in Psalms 137, kind of gives you an understanding of their longing to go back to Jerusalem or to Zion, as we see here. In Psalms uh, 30, 137, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, ye, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there, for there those who carried us away captives, captive asked us a song. For there, we just read that, and those who plundered us requested mirth saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the songs, uh, sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. So there was a longing to go back, 70 years of captivity, and their longing to go back. And this all started around July 18th, 586 B.C., when Babylon came in to the city of Jerusalem. The soldiers would burn the temple, destroy the city, and carry away thousands of Jews into captivity into Babylon. And all this while, the prophet Jeremiah, probably sitting on a hill watching these, his people go into captivity and preached to them for 40 years to repent and to turn back from their sin and their idolatry and to turn towards God and that there would be forgiveness and there would be mercy. But for 40 years he preached and no one listened. I think about our time, our day and age today, where... We have the coronavirus. We have this rioting that's going on. We just had a hurricane that passed. But yet people are still not turning to the churches or turning to God like they should. But there's so many warnings that God is giving us, so many signs that he has given us in nature and in our own societies that we should turn back to God. But yet people are still rejecting, just like they rejected the prophet's message here. During this time, the other prophets, Daniel and Ezekiel, were brought into captivity. We see Daniel, uh, through his book, basically talking to the political powers of that kingdom. 
dealing with the, the, the political and, and, and powers and being a witness to them there as we see Ezekiel talking to the common man that was there in Babylon, proclaiming that one day they would go back. And so we ask ourselves, as we've seen in the Chronicles, why they were brought into captivity. And number one, they were brought into captivity because they scorned God's love continuously by worshiping these false idols. The idols they worshiped were not simply just images. They were actually lifestyles that were, that were throughout the idolatrous world, and it was very much contrary to, to God's ways. So they would go for the idolatry, they would go for the pleasures, and they would go for the riches of things instead of wanting to follow the ways of God. And we know the ways of God are always good for us. Even when they seem hard, they're good for us. So we have the nation of Judah wanted to follow these idols and worship like the pagans around them would worship. So God eventually gave them in to that by bringing them into captivity to the center of idolatry in Babylon. You're, they were going to get their fill of idolatry. You want idolatry? I'm going to give you idolatry. And I think of our country and our world today, the Lord is going to give us over to the pleasures of this world if we continue to worship the idols that are here today and the lifestyles that are contrary to God. So he sent them into captivity for 70 years because they wanted to worship these idols. That's one of the reasons. And just think about that after they came out of this uh, captivity, they no longer worshiped idols. They had other issues as a nation, but they would not want to worship false gods again. And just think about the Lord in your own life. You may be going through something right now. The Lord may be testing you and putting you through the fire to get rid of idols or sin in your life right now. And some people, it takes an entire lifetime for them to finally get rid of those sins or idolatry that's in their heart, but the Lord's going to put you through it to work that out of you as he continues to perfect us before we go on to glory. And that's what he was doing here with the nation of Judah, putting them through the fire to get that thought of idolatry out of their system. And it's not always comfortable following Jesus. It's not all roses and, and that. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes because he will allow us to go through things to cleanse us and to perfect us. The second reason that they were put into captivity was that they were carried to captivity because they skirted around God's law. We had read in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 36 about them not following the Sabbath. In Leviticus uh, 25.4, it tells us that every seventh year they were to let the land rest. But they decided that they were going to work through those seven years, that they weren't going to listen to the law of God, and that they were going to work through it because it would make them more prosperous, uh, they, they, they would be able to gain more from it. But God is no fool. God was going to get those years back. He was going to get those 490 years that they decided to, to skirt around the law. He was going to get those Sabbaths back by sending them into captivity for those 70 years. And I don't know about you, but if the Lord would tell us, hey, I want you to work for six years and then take you a long vacation on the uh, seventh. I'd be okay with that. You know, he would double up on the sixth year, everything you're going to need for that seventh. That's a good, to me, that's a good deal. 
I, the, nation, the nation of Judah must not have thought it to be a good deal. But if he wanted me to work every six years and take a whole year off, Lord, I'm, I'm okay with that if you can make that happen. But the nation didn't think so. And the Lord is not a fool, and he was going to get those Sabbaths back. And he, he did by sending them into captivity into Babylon. And the book after Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah were both one book at one point in time, and then they end up separating these two books. One we're going to be talking about here, about rebuilding the temple, the religious site. And then one we're going to be rebuilding the wall, and that's Nehemiah. He's going to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem as they continue to go back. And it would be King Cyrus, as we'll see in a minute, would be the one who would free them to be able to go back and to build the temple, to build the wall. In Isaiah, Cyrus was called by God. He was called my shepherd. He also was referred to as God's anointed. So the chief shepherd and the true anointed one of God to be able to do this. We read about on Sunday, uh, Pastor George was preaching about how he used Pharaoh. There was a plan for Pharaoh, but there, we're going to see there is a plan for Cyrus as well. God is sovereign all of all, over all of this that goes on in the world. Don't be fooled. Let's go ahead and start in verse 1. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So here we see the Persian king, Cyrus, who overthrew the city of Babylon, or the nation of Babylon. And he was spoken about 150 years before he was born by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 44, starting in verse 27, it says, Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers? Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasures? Saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and the temple, your foundation, shall be laid. And it goes on into chapter 45 and verse 1. It says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked place straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. So it was even describing the prophecy of how he was going to defeat Babylon by drying up that portion of the Euphrates River, getting in underneath the gates and getting into the city to be able to capture him at night. 150 years before he was born. You can't tell me that the Lord God is not the true and living God with prophecies like this. It says in chapter 45 and verse 1, it says, To Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. 
taking the child by their hand and walking them around where they need to go. God orchestrated everything Cyrus had done. God orchestrated the attack on Babylon, the, capt uh, the overtake of Babylon to be able to free his people. God orchestrates the affairs of man. He is there in the affairs of man. Even when we don't understand, even when we don't see it with our own eyes, he is there moving peace is where it needs to be. Even now with these riots, there's reasons for them. We may not like it. We may not want it. But there's reasons for it. And just like our election coming up in November, whoever, whoever is put in that spot is put there by God, like it or not. Because God has a mission and there's reasons behind everything that he does. So 150 years before Cyrus is even born, his name is written in Scripture. He's written in Scripture. And we think, God, you're going to use, use this heathen? You're going to use this Gentile to, to free your people? That's like saying, are we going to use a Democrat to free our people or use a Republican to free our people? Are we going to use someone from another country to take care of the United States? All these things can go through your head, but you know what? God knows what he's doing. We don't. And he knows who to put into place. And so at this particular point in time, he appointed King Cyrus to be the one to free the nation of Judah to be able to go back into Jerusalem and rebuild. It says that he stirred his heart up. I'm thinking here that when he came into captivity, that possibly the prophet Daniel was the one who told him of his name being written in scripture and could have persuaded him to be able to set the people free. Because at this point in time, the leader of Babylon, Belshazzar, was having a party that night. And all of a sudden, a hand appeared on the wall telling him that he was going to lose his kingdom. And his, Belshazzar's mother came and said, hey, we need to take this guy, Daniel, because he can, he can interpret what's going on. And I'm going to turn. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. And Daniel... Chapter 5, starting in verse 25, it says, And this is the inscription that was written. And I'm going to try attempt to, to pronounce this. Many, many tekel yufrashen. Hopefully it's close. This is the interpretation of each word. Many says, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, the kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. This is the writing on the wall. And we say, it goes on to say that Belshazzar got scared and then he ended up calling for Daniel. Daniel interpreted this for him and he ended up clothing him to become the third highest ranking official in the nation. Now Daniel's around, probably in his 90s at this point. But he becomes the third ranking official. So as soon as as Cyrus would get in there, I'm pretty sure he was able to talk to Daniel not long after that. And I bet Daniel shared that scripture in Isaiah where his name was mentioned 150 years before he was even born. Stirring the heart of Cyrus, stirring the spirit of Cyrus to be able to release the people. And just think about that. Basically what it's saying here, God is telling Cyrus, Guess what? You don't know who I am, but I know who you are. 
And he knew that Cyrus was going to do this before Cyrus was even born. And it says the same thing. It says that in, in Psalm 139 that he knew us before we were even knitted in, in our mother's wombs. You know, it says that he chose us even before the foundations of the world in Ephesians 1. And if that doesn't get you excited and, 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 and just amazes you that thousands of years ago he was thinking about me. He was thinking about you. And he already knew the plans that he had for you. He already knew that what you were going to be doing today on 9th of, uh, 2nd of September, this Wednesday. He knew it. And he knows the plans of the future for you. Before we were ever even interested in the things of God, God was interested in us because of those plans that he had. And I know Pastor George spoke about some of this on Sunday, about how God has planned, had plans for Pharaoh, just like he has plans for Cyrus, just like he has plans for each and every one of us. We're ordained for a certain time in history to be here. And Cyrus was ordained to be there for the nation of Judah to set them free. God knows what he is doing. Amen. All right, we're going to continue on to verse 3. It says, Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. So it says, Who among you of the people of God wish to go back and rebuild the temple? This is what Cyrus is asking the people. Now, it was estimated that there was close to 2 million Jews in Babylon at this point in time in history. So they had prospered pretty extensively and, and greatly while being in Babylon. But it was also said that only about 49,000 was willing to go back and do the work that was needed to rebuild Jerusalem. So 49,000 out of the 2 million that were there were wanting to go back. There was a remnant that went back, but there was also a group that would stay that I'm assuming were enjoying the comforts and luxuries of Babylon, even though they were in captivity. And there was a lot of work that was going to lie ahead in rebuilding Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple and some people just were not up to maybe doing that work, that it was going to be hard work, and they were not looking forward to it. And we think many that are on the verge of accepting Christ in their heart, a lot of them, they are told of the hard work that will come ahead, that it is not easy. And many don't choose Christ because of that hard work. And we see people are going to stay in the lap of luxury in Babylon instead of going forward to rebuild Jerusalem. In verse 4 it says, And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So he's putting out also a decree that, hey, if you are going to stay, help your brethren who are going to Judah. Help them out with what they're going to need. There was a story about King David and the Amalekites uh, when they went to battle. Two-thirds of the men who were there grew faint and did not want to go into battle. They told, they told King David that we can't go on and that they were just too tired. And there are many Christians that are tired. They have been walking the walk for a long time. 
And physically and mentally, they get tired. Spiritually, they get tired. And they just can't go on in in the battle sometimes. They just can't move on. So David said to these men, he said that it was okay that they can stay and they can guard the camp and make sure they push the supply lines to them on the front lines. So David and his troops went into battle with the Amalekites and ended up coming out victorious, bringing home spoil, bringing home uh, the, the rewards of war. And the men told the people that stayed, they said, hey, you're not going to get any of these spoils. You're not going to get the rewards of war because you didn't go out to battle. But David said that was not so. David said that those who stayed with the stuff shall be rewarded equally with those who went to battle because it was a team effort. I think about when I was in Iraq. I was not on the front line, but we made map products for those who were on the front line. And there were many of us who were support units uh, in Iraq who would, who would make sure that those who were fighting out in the field would make sure they would get the supplies they need for they could continue on inside the battle. And that's what Cyrus is asking the people here to do, to give to those who were going back, to make sure they had the supplies and, and the items that were needed to be successful in the mission that they were pushing out. And let me tell you, without a a support group or without those supply lines for the those who are on front line, the front line will perish. If they get supplies cut off, they will perish in the battle. So those who are weary and those who may not be those who are on the missionary field or those who are pastoring churches or those who, who are doing so-called big things for God can give, can pray, can be that support for those who are out there doing those types of work for God. Every one of our jobs count in, in, in the grand scheme of things for God. No matter how big or small we think they are, they're very important. Verse 5, it says, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirit God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. That's the way the Lord still works today. He stirs the spirit of men and women. He stirs the believer up. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in, in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is going to give you the power. He's going to give you the ability. He's going to give you what is needed to accomplish his good pleasure. And I ask you, what is your heart stirred up to do? Because everyone has some kind of stirring in his heart from God to do something. It takes faith sometimes to step out and actually do what the Lord wants us to do. But just ask yourself, what is the Lord stirring in my heart to do? Whether it's at work, whether it's here in the church, whether it's in the community, whether it's with our families. What is the Lord stirring in your heart to do? And We need to ask ourselves that daily to keep ourselves fresh and, and wanting to stay within God's will. Lord, what are you wanting to stir in my heart? In verse 6 and 7, it says, And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. In verse 7, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, with Nebuchadnezzar, which Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from Jerusalem and put him in the temple of his God. So here we see the people wanting to give 
generously. They're wanting to give of their, their time and their prayer and their, their physical goods to be able to get them off on their way, to be able to go back and build. And the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He loves those who want to give willingly to the work of God. We know in Mark 11, when he was, Jesus was sitting watching those who were putting money in the treasure, it wasn't that he was watching how much money was being put in the treasure, but he was looking at the attitude of those putting money in the treasure. And what is our attitude towards giving? Is it cheerful or is it a chore? I hope it's cheerful. And as we see here that these people were willingly and joyfully and hilariously giving to the mission of God. There was joy because the Judah and the, the nation of Judah was going back home. And the temple of God was going to be rebuilt. And the wall was going to be rebuilt. The Jerusalem was going to be rebuilt. And they had a longing to go back. And Cyrus was set at this time to allow them to go back and have the goods they needed to rebuild. Not only was Judah and the people, the Jews, giving back to their own people to go rebuild. We see in verse 7 that he says, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken and put in his own house of his own gods. He was restoring back to Judah what belonged. The enemy had stolen it, and now we see Cyrus giving it back, restoring it onto them to be able to go back and to start practicing what God had taught them through Scripture and using these utensils for the house of God. In verse 8, it says, And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of similar kind and, uh, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. So we see all the different items that were going to go back to be part of building the temple. The utensils that were given back by King Cyrus to be able to be used within the temple for worship. And then we look at these two. We see this name here, Shesh Bazar. That is Zerubbabel. Say that five times fast, Zerubbabel. But we see here, Shesh Bazar, the meaning of that name means joy and affliction. That seems like it contradicts itself. Affliction and joy just don't seem to go together. But the Lord asks us to have joy when we have afflictions. In James 1, 2, and 3, it tells us what? Count it all joy when we face trials, knowing that the testing of our faith works patience. So we see Zerubbabel here in Babylon in affliction, but yet he still had joy in his heart that came from God, the joy that he was going to be able to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild, back to the promised land that God had promised his people. So he had that joy in affliction. Now, Zerubbabel means a stranger in Babylon, and he definitely was that. The entire nation was a stranger in Babylon. And the Babylon is also often used as another word for this world that we live in, the Babylon system. So we, ourselves as believers, can be strangers in Babylon. 
strangers in this world because this is not our home. We, we are simply just setting up a tent here waiting to go back to our home because this is not our home. And I think the sooner we figure that out, that this is not our home and that we can't live for the things of this world and we shouldn't attach ourselves to this, this physical world and the items that we, we hold dear to our heart, once we can figure we need to let those things go and that our home is not the physical homes we live in, but our home is in heaven, I think our lives will be full of joy even in our afflictions. I think we, we can be strangers and and sojourners just passing through, waiting to go home. That should be our longing to where we see some of these things that are happening in the world and we realize it won't be too much longer. I'll be at home with my heavenly father. And we see here Zerubbabel is ready to go back to, to, to Jerusalem. He's ready to go back to his home. So we need to set our hearts on things above. Just like Zerubbabel, he... We know that our place is in heaven, and we're just passing through here. We're just passing through. Heaven is our home, not this world. And the sooner that we come to that reality, the better. The better off we're going to feel, the more joy we're going to have, celebrating the fact that we will get home one day. And when we begin to separate ourselves from the world and, and we draw ourselves closer to God, the more peace and joy we will have in our hearts. And I can, I can only imagine the peace and the joy that the, these people from Judah, the Jews, had as they knew they were going to go back to their home, back to where the promised land was given to them. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to set our, our sights on our heavenly home and not be concerned with the things and the ways of the world. Amen? Father, we thank you tonight, Lord. Help us to be able to Focus on our home, Lord. Help us to focus on our heavenly home and not to be concerned about the things of this world, Father God, but to, to place our, our gaze towards you in the heavens, Father God, and to follow your ways. Thank you for this word tonight. We pray for blessings over those who are here today. Uh, we pray for those who are home and those who may be sick, Lord. We pray for healing for them. And we give you glory and honor, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.